in the last night of this guided, the last night of the class, he said, tonight when we do the meditation, it's going to be a little different because at the end of it, you will be introduced to your spiritual master. And we all understood that the spiritual master was not a real person. You know, we knew that this was a disembodied oh, wow. uh, being. Welcome, everyone, to Truth Unbound. I am your host, Walter Swain, and today you're in for a real treat. You know, one of the things that has been surging in popularity in recent years is the New Age movement once again. Now, it can also, it's very broad, and we're going to learn more about that today with our special guest, Marsha Montenegro. Now, she's lived this, she's been there, she was deeply involved in it in a number of years into the New Age, and which also would be, uh, it could involve some witchcraft, astrology, of course, and the occult. And so she has been there and she came to Christ and her story is extremely interesting. And uh, now she has for several years been, had her own ministry that God called her to, to help others to see Christ as the truth and the way and to inform believers about the new age and the new influ new age influences that are occurring in the church and theology today, which is a problem. So anyway, without further ado, I will mention this real quick. We did have some technical difficulties, not with the audio. So if you're listening to this in the audio version, you won't even miss it. Uh, if you're watching the video version, you'll see a little bit of lag from time to time on my end. Uh, that was not on our end, actually, technically. It was on the end of the the uh, the sponsoring uh, software that uh, we did this through. And so uh, we're working with the technicians now. But nevertheless, you'll get full value of it. Uh, she is seen clearly, and she's really the main focus of this. So I hope you enjoy this, learn a lot from it. And, uh, well, let's get to it right now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Truth Unbound. I'm Walter Swaim, and today we have a special guest with us, Marcia Montenegro from the Ministry of Christian Answers for the New Age. And so... Uh, she has an incredible story uh, to tell us. And uh, Marsha, I know you've told this many times, but you never uh, tire <laughs> of doing that because it's, uh, you know, how you serve the Lord and it's a ministry and a calling he's given you. And uh, especially in this day and age of uh, podcasting and podcasters and programs. And I know you repeat it a lot, but um, uh, it's, you never cease to, you never tire, do you, of telling people how you came to know the Lord, you know? And yeah, so, no, uh, welcome that's to Unbound. yes, yes. <laughs> so anyway, welcome to truth unbound. And I am just, we're going to dive right in and, uh, let me ask you, uh, here, tell us, uh, for, I know some may have heard it, but I imagine many in, in my particular audience has not tell us your story of where you came from, how you came to know the Lord. Um, you know, what, what made the light bulb go off and your heart feel that you need to respond to the calling of the Lord for salvation and uh, tell us your story about Jesus coming into your life and transforming you. Okay, sure. Thank you so much for having me on uh, your program, Walter. I really appreciate it. And um, yes, my yes. story um, really is uh, a very um, <laughs> kind of unusual one the way the Lord uh, drew me to Christ. Uh -huh. um, I had gone to churches when I was younger, but uh, 
I, mm. I went to different churches. We lived overseas some of the time. You know, one time it was an army, you know, Protestant service mm. um, because it was Roman. It was Catholic, Roman Catholic, Protestant or Jewish. Those were the three services they offered. Um, so you went to one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have really no memories <laughs> right. of it anyway. I, I very, very vague. Um, and uh, when we came back to this country, um, I went to a Baptist church. And this was because my mother had been raised Southern Baptist and thought children should go to church. Uh, she herself, mm-hmm. as far as I could tell, Later, at the time, I did. I just assumed she was a Christian, but later, I I was thinking maybe she was more of a nominal Christian because she never. I mm-hmm. never saw her read the Bible. I never saw her pray. Um, she just didn't do any of those things you would expect a Christian to do. But she did think children should go to church. Mm. So, <laughs> so my sister and I were taken to church. Yeah. And I, you know, I went to Sunday school. I went to youth group. Um, I went to Wednesday night stuff. I, you know, I was pretty faithful in that, but I, I really was, Mm -hmm. I was not a Christian. Um, I had sort of a vague idea that Jesus Mm. was very good, a very good teacher. I didn't understand the cross at all. And I didn't try to understand it. Uh, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, and I just thought you had to be good to get into heaven. So, mm. <laughs> which is uh, unfortunately a very common belief out there in the culture and in some churches. So I I really mm. thought that's what you right. had to do. But I started questioning a lot of things. By the time I was 14 and 15, I was questioning the idea of hell. Mm-hmm. I was questioning the idea of the Bible being... Uh, something that we need to live by or something that completely came from God. I was questioning the whole Mm -hmm. existence of Christianity because I had friends from other religions. So I had kind of an Mm. unusual group of friends. My last two years of high school, um, I had, I really didn't have any that I know of. I had no Christian friends when I was in, um, in my school. Now, and mm-hmm. at church, I, uh, the one friend I had called herself a free thinker. So I, I don't really think she was a Christian. I think she, okay. was, she was a very independent thinker. That's why she called herself a free mm-hmm. thinker. And my, my friends at school were um, a Mormon, a follower of Baha'i, and a Quaker. And um, mm. Wow, what a mix. <laughs> Yeah, it was a very eclectic (laughs) group. (laughs) And all three of them were very, very serious about their beliefs. Um, The Mormon girl said that they went to church every night. And the Baha'i was Mm. always inviting me to the Baha'i meetings. And the Quaker girl was always talking to me about pacifism. So I was getting this from different people. I wasn't interested in the Mormon. I didn't really know much about it, but um, I I knew that they believed Jesus came to the United States. That's the only thing I knew about the Mormon church. (laughs) And I thought that was really ridiculous. So I kind of dismissed that 
And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it just didn't appeal to me. Um, And the Baha'i I was interested in, and I tried to go to one of the meetings, but my father, who was driving me there and had no sense of direction, uh, couldn't find it. And we got lost. And <laughs> we never made it to the meeting. <laughs> I still remember that night. I still remember him driving on those streets trying to find the house we were supposed to go to. <laughs> I did go uh, with a Quaker girl to downtown <laughs> D.C. And we passed out uh, anti-war leaflets. Um and I did not tell mm. my mother about this. She would have not agreed with me going on a bus down to Washington, D.C. at night. That would have been a big no. <laughs> but the Quaker girl was yeah. very unafraid because they have this kind of idea that if you if you have an attitude of, of nonviolence and peace, that you will only attract peace. This is kind of their thinking. So she was uh, totally okay with it, and her mother was okay with it. Um, Now, fast forward to college. I pretty much had rejected Christianity at that point in high school. And in college, I was very interested. And actually, in high school, I was interested, I forgot to say, in in astrology and in what were called like the powers of the mind, ESP, um, parapsychology, um, you know, what, what a lot of people would call psychic powers today. I was very interested in those and I was very interested in astrology in high school and that carried on into Mm. college. And in college, I also got interested in Hinduism because I did a special project on Gandhi and I Mm. was interested in other things. There were lots of, a lot of different things that happened in college that, continued my interest in those areas, including a few kind of psychic experiences that I had. And so later after college, um, oh, I should mention one thing that happened um, when I was on a college break at my grandmother's house. Um, uh, Now, what I thought was a dead person appeared to me. Um, And I was awake Mm. and it was in the it was in the daytime. So uh, I thought this was a dead, the spirit of a dead person. He appeared to me. It wasn't someone I, I had known. In fact, he died like around the time I was born or maybe the year before. I can't remember exactly. But because he had told me mm. the date that he died. And so he was dressed in a military uniform. So I, I was very intrigued by this. And this caused an interest in communication with the dead, which I explored uh, quite a bit after I got out of college by reading a lot of books that that were about that kind of thing. And that was an area of interest for a while. And then that continued on interest in with astrology and psychics. And I went to a psychic and I went to an astrologer. And then and I also was continuing my interest in Eastern religions. So from Hinduism, where I'd done a lot of reading and become convinced of reincarnation, um, which is the belief that when you die, you come back again. And Mm -hmm. that goes on and on and on, you know, for thousands of years. And you're on this spiritual journey Mm -hmm. through uh, many lives. Um, In Hinduism, it's actually considered a very negative thing 
because it's like a prison that you have to keep coming back. And the idea is to escape this, um, you know, prison. You, you escape reincarnation so that you don't ever have to come back. Um, but in the mm -hmm. new age, it's kind of glamorized, you know, in this country. <laughs> they take things like that and they make yes. it a little more interesting. So it's not it's not really a prison so much as something that's very intriguing. And so I was really into that. And then I got interested in uh, Tibetan Buddhism. I went to a Tibetan Buddhist group. Um, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia after college. Um, after being in my parents' home for a few months after I graduated, I, I moved to Atlanta because three of my college friends were living there and I was sharing a townhouse with them. And so, uh, but then I eventually moved to, to my own place after that. And I decided to take a Tibetan Buddhist class, um, a Tibetan, mm. yeah. Basically it was a Tibetan Buddhist group. They were followers of um, Shoigam Trungpa, who at the time was one of the leaders of the four schools of, there's four schools of Tibetan Buddhism. Um, the Dalai Lama, whom pretty much everyone in this country has heard of, <laughs> is right. the leader of one of those four schools. He's not the leader of all Tibetan Buddhism. And hmm. actually, Choigam Trungpa is the first one to come to this country. And he established, um, you know, he got followers and established centers um, and places. His followers are all over the United States. And he started something called the Naropa Institute, which still exists in Boulder, Colorado. And so he had a group of followers in Atlanta that all lived together in this big old house in this older section of Atlanta. And they would... Um, do Tibetan Buddhist meditation every Wednesday night for the public. You could come and participate. Um, and they instructed me on how to do the meditation. And then you just go into the room and you meditate for 45 minutes. And then you get a lecture. And so the lecture, of course, is a spiritual, you know, spiritual issues based on the teachings of Choigam Trungpa and Tibetan Buddhism. So I also bought his books and I was reading his books and I got very influenced by a lot of his ideas, which basically were um, that what we see and what we identify as religion or spirituality is all kind of um, a, a man constructed thing. Um, mm -hmm. His famous book is called Cutting cutting through spiritual materialism. And that's one of his more well-known books. And um, I mean, they still sell it today, even though he died later in 1986 is when he died, I think. So I was absorbing these ideas and finding them very intriguing and thinking about them. And then I ended up taking a class called Inner Light Consciousness, which interestingly enough was hosted by Quaker House in Atlanta, Georgia. Now I had hmm. been going to some Quaker meetings. I went to some my freshman year in college. Um, and then I went to some later um, at, at this place in Atlanta. And I actually went for a while off and on for several years as a new ager. And um, I was introduced to some new age ideas through some people at Quaker House. 
And so um, they hosted the Inner Light Consciousness. Now, I don't know if they officially endorsed it, but they made an announcement at our Sunday meeting about it. And they were letting the people use their building. So I was going to these classes, which basically were a uh, was a, a crash course in the new age. So we were learning mm. about um, healing, uh, you know, remote healing, like energy healing, remote healing with your mind. Um, we did chanting. And interestingly enough, the, the one of the chants I remember was that we chanted the word Elohim. And... Mm. Not a word I, I knew at the time, and we were told by the man who was leading the class that this word was from the Bible. Um, I can't recall if he explained it or told us what it meant. I have a very vague memory that I think he told us it meant angels, but I'm not sure that he said that. And so I wasn't really clear on the word or how it was used in scripture, of course. I was totally ignorant. <laughs> but we chanted that word and saying it was from the Bible sort of gave it some legitimacy, you know, even though I'm sure not, not nobody there was a Christian in this in this class. Um, and but every night we would do a guided meditation. And in this meditation, he would he would have us see certain things. It was a guided it was guided visualization or guided meditation. And you would see things as he tells you instructs you first you're re, you're led through a relaxation exercise and then he instructs you in these steps and what you see um and the relaxation exercise is actually a form of hypnosis which i did oh. not remember at the time but that is what all of these relaxation exercises are and there's a lot of apps today now on the phone uh, for meditation and guided meditation and guided visualizations. And usually at the beginning, they lead you through some type of relaxation exercise where you breathe slowly or you breathe a certain way. You might have your eyes closed. You might have the lights dim. Uh, you might be sitting comfortably or lying down. Usually um, if you go through those steps, you actually are going into a light state of hypnosis because you can be hypnotized and still be aware of your surroundings and everything. Being hypnotized doesn't mean you don't know what's going on. Now, if you get to a deeper level of hypnosis, then you, in a very deep level, then you are not aware of your surroundings. But most people in these exercises just get into the light state. And they're probably not aware that they're in a state of hypnosis. Therefore, your mind... Mm is open and vulnerable to any kind of influence that wants to come in and your critical thinking skills are suspended. This is why I warn, I have an article warning about hypnosis on my website and I warn about these relaxation techniques and all of the meditation apps, even unfortunately the Christian ones that I've looked at, um, they use this. They use the same kind of techniques. So it's really a tricky thing out there. I, I would just warn people away from this. Um, biblical meditation is pondering and reflecting on God's word. That's what biblical meditation uses the mind. It's not going into a, a light hypnotic state where you're 
critical thinking skills are suspended. It's not the same thing. So the word meditation, the way it's used now in the culture, has nothing to do with biblical meditation. Hmm. And a lot of people are confused by that. So that's one of the areas I want to talk about later. <laughs> so in the last night of this guided, the last night of the class, he said, tonight when we do the meditation, it's going to be a little different because at the end of it, you will be introduced to your spiritual master. And we all understood that the spiritual master was not a real person. You know, we knew that this was a disembodied oh, wow. uh, being. Um, and he said, the spiritual master will be with you the rest of your life. And you will be able to contact your spiritual master by doing this meditation. But eventually you won't need to do this meditation. You will just be able to contact the spiritual master directly. Um, or he or she oh, will wow. contact you directly. And so, um, you know, I was very intrigued by this. And at the end of the meditation, he added on this extra part where we encountered, we each encountered our own spiritual master. You know, we nobody had the same one. Everybody had a different spiritual master. And um, oh, wow. And so I did. I saw uh, what I thought was my spiritual master. Um, I didn't really interact with him. I just saw him. You know, I saw him sitting there looking at me. Um, later, I had some dreams with him interacting with me. I never interacted with him in the sense of like knowing his name or talking to him in my mind or, you know, I didn't really, I didn't do that kind of thing. Some people do, some people who get these, these are actually what are, what are called in the new age spirit guides. And they're very oh, common okay. in the new age. And um, actually a lot of people get much more interactive with their spirit guides. Um, Sylvia Brown, who is a very well-known medium who died several years ago and wrote all of her books were bestsellers. She used to be on the Montel Williams show every week. He loved her mm. because he supposed she supposedly diagnosed him with an illness before he knew he had it. And so he started having her wow, on his, his program. I remember that. Yeah. I didn't you watch remember it a lot, that? but I remember Montel that Williams. being significant. Yes. Yeah, Montel Williams. Um, I just have to straighten this pull out here. It's bothering I remember me. that that <laughs> happening. I don't think I saw that episode, but I remember about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, he. Well, she. Yeah, and she was on almost every week on his program, and I I watched a lot yeah, of these shows wow. after um, I was a Christian. And I had my ministry to you know kind of see what she was saying because um, I would I was often asked about Sylvia Brown when I spoke in churches in different mm. places, because a lot of people had relatives who were listening to her um, or thought that maybe uh, you really could contact a dead, a dead loved one. So I used to get a lot of questions about her. So um, she, she wrote in her book, I also read a couple of books by her, how she met her spirit guide. And it was when she was eight years old. And oh um she, from then on, and in her books and on the program, sometimes with Montel Williams or other programs, she openly talked about her spirit guide, whom she called Francine. And she would say things like 95% of what I know about the other side, and the other side means where the, the dead people are, um, when she uses that term, 
And she said, 95% of what I know about the other side is from Francine. So a lot of her information she claimed to get from Francine. And so she was very open about this. All mediums are John, Jonathan Edward, who was a big sensation on TV, like back in, I think the early 2000s. Um, mm-hmm. I think he was on the, the sci-fi channel or something like that. And then he was so popular, he was picked up by almost every other channel out there. And, wow. and he wrote some best-selling books. I don't know. I think he's still doing what he's doing. But, you know, the landscape has changed a lot in terms of the media. It's not, everything's not TV anymore. You know, now people right. have, have uh, you can get certain channels and, you know, everything kind of changed. So I think that people have different platforms now. Now it's more online, you know. So probably he has a website. I haven't checked lately that you can go to and he goes around and gives talks and COVID changed a lot of things too. So, um, so the way those people are seen and you find out about them, it's a little different now, but they all talk about spirit guides. And in fact, in their books, um, James Van Prague, another very well-known medium who's written bestsellers and whom I've also read and Jonathan Edward both tell you in their books, how to find your, how to contact your spirit guide. So that's, I may, I'm talking about this because I know I'm giving my story, but as I give my story, I'm kind of saying some things about the new age too. So, yes, no, no, <laughs> um, and so this thing about the spirit guide is a common thing. If you're in the new age and you're with, around other people who have been in it for a while and they're kind of identifying with one of the many flavors of new age, talking about your spirit guide won't shock anybody. You know, they won't be like, what, what are you talking about? You know, they'll know exactly what you mean. It's not considered uh, shocking or strange. It's just considered normal. Um, So that's a very important thing for people to know because that's how a lot of these people get their information. So just to give you an example, and I know I'm kind of veering off my story here, but I tend to do this. So to give you an example, when somebody goes to a, a site, let's say they go to a medium and they want to hear from their, they want to know about their dead, you know, their dead uncle or something. And the medium claims to be getting in contact with that uncle or getting information about the uncle. Um, and they'll say things that are accurate. So, you know, they might say, well, your uncle, I can see that he was very sick for a long time before he, he, he passed away. And, um, but he would still have weekly visits, um, you know, with his best friend from college who came, who drove to see him or something. And they'll say something like that. And, and this will be true. And so the person will say, wow, that's true. He was sick a long time. You know, he had such and such an illness and he was sick for, you know, almost a year before he died. And, but his, good friend John that he knew from college came and saw him all the time. And, and so you're thinking, well, she must really be in contact with my dead uncle because how else would she know this? Um, And so what's going on here is the spirit guide is, is giving this information to the medium and the medium is, is picking up on it. Um, I mean, this even happened to me when I was doing astrology readings, which I can talk about later. But 
you know, I would, it didn't happen all the time, but I would suddenly get something in my head, um, usually a picture um, or some piece of information would pop into my head about the person that would be right on target as I was doing the astrology reading. Because I had opened myself up, you know, I had spirit guides and I'd opened myself up to that kind of information. And so now, on the other hand, let me point out that these mediums and psychics who may come up with some really specific pieces of information that are correct also say a lot of things that are wrong. You know, they're never they're never 100 percent correct. Never. Um, and when they are correct, it's it's usually I mean, it could be a coincidence. It could be a lucky guess. But sometimes it's because of the spirit guide giving them this information because spirit guides are fallen angels and fallen angels, um, which we usually call demons. I like the term fallen angels better because it identifies them better, more specifically. Mm. And when I talk to people in the new age or the occult, that's the term I use rather than demons. Um, Because the word demon carries a lot of baggage in our culture. So (laughs) I just try to sort of stay away from it when I'm talking to (laughs) Uh, (laughs) non-Christians. Gotcha. Yeah, it's just a lot of cartoonish stereotypes, you know, Um, or else some people think when you say demon that all of a sudden, you know, you're a fanatic and, you know, you're going to, you know, hit them over the head with a Bible or something. So I, you know, it's just there's too much with that word. So but so these spirit guides are fallen angels and we know from scripture that 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 they are around. We know they're around and we know they observe. And um so we, but we also know they don't know everything because, of course, they're creatures and they have limited knowledge. But they do observe some things. It's not hard for them to know something about your, you know, your dead uncle or your dead husband or whatever. Um, that's not a hard thing for them to know. So, but it impresses people and the person, the psychic or the medium or the astrologer, feels like what they're doing is valid because they've just given some accurate information to the client. So it feeds into, you know, this practice of, of seeking um, out psychics and mediums, which of course God completely condemns um, in the Bible in several passages. I'll point out the, the passage that is probably the best one to know is Deuteronomy 18 um, like nine through 14 is the entire passage, but it's these practices are listed, I think, in verses 10 and 11 and okay. maybe into verse, into verse 12. And you have there a whole list of occult practices that were all connected to the worship of false gods, because this is how people got their information from their false gods or tried to get their information from false gods. Um, so, you know, omens, um, omens is one divination is another covers a lot of practices, including astrology. Uh, then there's things that that you do like sorcery to get results. So casting spells, for example. So all of that's listed in that passage. And, um, you see, I got so far off now. I got to reel myself back in (laughs) from here. From the, from the precipice here. <laughs> um, it's very engaging. So You're fine. I mean, spirit guides, and that led me into this whole area here, 
what not okay. to mention that spirit guides and having communications with them is spirit contact, which is also condemned. So, you know, this mm. is spirit contact. You're being you're contacting a spirit, really. That's what you're doing. And you're opening yourself up to a spirit. And this is condemned is spiritism. So yes. um, this is all very evil. It's it's extremely evil, but it seems when you're doing it and you don't have a biblical understanding of anything, it seems helpful and benign. And so um, that's, you know, that's where I was. That was where my thinking was. And um, when I was in the new age. So mm -hmm. this was my spiritual master and that I eventually decided to take classes because I wanted to learn something practical and I wanted to be able to help people. And I decided to study astrology. And I also took a class called psychic development to explore and develop my supposed psychic powers, which is what I did. And there was a lot of things I learned there. And in fact, in the class, in my first class, I took a few psychic development classes. In the first one, the teacher came around to each one of us and looked at us and told us about our spirit guides that she could see around us. Because supposedly wow. as a psychic, she was also a medium. She also did contact with the dead. And we used to, she also led us in seances in the class. Um, but as mm -hmm. a psychic, she felt she could see our, our spirit guides. So I was plunging now, myself into this now, world. Yeah. So again, where did you take these classes again? Oh, um, okay. The um, Tibetan Buddhist was with the Tibetan Buddhist group and they had their own house. Okay. And they did mm -hmm. the meditation and classes there. Um, the uh, Interlight Consciousness was a group that traveled around. They were based in Southeast Virginia in a rural area of Southeastern Virginia. I, I, I imagine that they're probably, I would probably classify them as a new age slash Eastern cult. Um, but they okay. traveled around and did these classes around the country. Then that was hosted okay, at Quaker gotcha. House. The psychic development and astrology okay, gotcha. classes I took were at a place called the Foundation for Truth. Um. Right. <laughs> That's ironic, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Think about the name. Yeah. That's why I paused after I said it. So people could kind of take that in the foundation for truth. Yeah. Uh, it's like the opposite. Yeah, I caught know, it. The total yeah, opposite. I caught it. And this is how, you know, Satan decides, disguises himself as an angel of light. I mean, this is, this is how the new age is. It always looks positive and beneficial and helpful. It always looks helpful. It doesn't ever look evil. There are aspects of the occult hmm. that look evil. But, but the new age does not look evil. It does not present itself as evil right. at all. So right. uh, the Foundation of Truth had a lot of classes. They had, I, I eventually took other classes like numerology. I took past life regression where you do a relaxation exercise and you supposedly remember past lives, that kind of thing. Um, but my I started right. learning astrology and in Atlanta, they had a special setup so that you could practice legally because prior um it was long before i came on the scene at one time it was illegal so the astrologers an astrologer went to somebody on the city council and said well we don't want any con artists you know saying they're astrologers so 
why don't we have them make them take a test? And then if they pass the test, they can buy a business license and practice legally. So something was set mm -hmm. up so that you could practice legally as an astrologer, but you had to prove, you had to have the business license and to buy the business license, you had to prove you knew astrology. And the only way you could do that was by taking either the test given by the American Federation of Astrologers or the test given right there in Atlanta that was uh, done through the Atlanta Board of Astrology Examiners that was set right. up along with this business license uh, deal. Wow. So you could take the test there in Atlanta. The people on the Astrology Board of Examiners were astrologers, of course. They formulated the exam. It was um, given, the test was given at City Hall. Then um, the astrologers on the board graded the exams and sent letters to City Hall for each person, this person passed, this person didn't pass. And City Hall sent the letters out to the people who took the test. So it was done mm. through City Hall. So you took the test at City Hall and you got your letter from City Hall as to whether you passed or failed. You didn't have direct communication with the astrologers. And also when you took the test, you were given a number. You do not did not put your name on the test because... A lot of the astrologers on the board, you know, would know the people taking the test. <laughs> so, um, and uh, I was teaching astrology. Mm -hmm. I, uh, oh, okay. I, I jumped ahead there. Okay. I'll get to that in a second. So I took this <laughs> test, which was uh, seven hours long. And um, it's very complicated. You have to know all the mathematical formulas to set up the chart, which is a completely based on mathematical formulas. And I'm terrible in math. It's math is very hard. It was my hardest subject. Um, it was just a nightmare for me in school. I mean, nightmare is a mild way to put it. And <laughs> me too. <laughs> you too. Oh my gosh. Oh no, my goodness. I, I just math. don't have hated the math. brain for no. I just don't have the brain for math or numbers. So um yeah, me I was really determined though. That shows how determined I was that I mastered all of these mm -hmm. formulas and I had to memorize them for the test. And then I had to do the wow. math, you know, and I had to do it correctly. So that was a huge achievement for me <laughs> in terms of math. So I passed the test and then we had to interpret a chart too. So I I passed the test and I went to the business license place and I bought a business license. And I, I started practicing. Now, I had been practicing on people unofficially just to get some experience. And I was just charging them like $10. And I was practicing on them. And I would tell them that. I'd say, you know, I'm just practicing. You know, do you want to be sort of a guinea pig? And, you know, a lot of people would do it for $10. So I had been doing that for, I think, a year or two before <laughs> I took the test. I, I shouldn't have. That was really illegal. But I wasn't holding myself out really as an astrologer. I was telling people I was a student and I was practicing and I wasn't charging very much for it. So I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't really making anything off of it. <laughs> so yeah. um, uh, and a few people I did it for free if they didn't have the money. So, you know, I didn't really care about the money. I wanted the practice. I wanted the experience. And so then um, I got my business license, though, and then I started doing it professionally and I had business cards and um, I started getting clients. Um, I got involved with the Astrological Society, which was very, very large at that time and very active. 
And eventually I was on the board of astrology examiners. Um, and so I was one of the astrologers who formulated and graded the exam. And we would give the exam once a year. And every year, only about 50% of the people who took it passed. And that was kind of the normal rate. Only half the people would pass. Only um, half? I also, huh? Only half? Only half, it? yeah. Sometimes wow. it's because wow. they were, um, you know, they would make a mistake in the math. Um, I didn't know didn't remember mm -hmm. how to compute the chart correctly. Sometimes they weren't good in the interpretation. So yeah, we would, yeah, they, wow. they, they had to pass both parts. The, the, the exam was those two parts, the math, calculating the chart. Then you're given another chart to write out an interpretation as though you're talking to the person whose chart it is. And it was always the chart of a real person. But we, when you take the test, you don't know mm -hmm. who it is. But we never made up a chart. We always gave the chart of either um, a famous person or usually it was a famous person, but we didn't tell the people mm. that. Um, so, oh yeah, only about 50% of people who took the test passed every year. And when I took the test, that was wow. the case too. Only half of us, half of us passed. So you can always take it again. You know, I mean, there, there was no limit on that. You could take mm -hmm. it as many times as you wanted. But you would have, you know, have to wait a year if you wanted to wait for that test or go to another city to take the AFA test. So um, I was teaching astrology as well. So I was completely immersed in this world. I forgot to mention that I went from Tibetan Buddhism to Zen Buddhism. Um, and that was um, that was before I became an astrologer. I think I can't remember real clearly, but I think it's before I became an astrologer. I can't remember exactly when I went into Zen Buddhism, but yeah. I okay, think so was, in, a, in a nutshell, what are the difference between those two? Yeah, there's a big difference. Um, uh, they're both Buddhism and the basic four noble truths are held to. Um, the four right. noble truths um, are along the lines of, I may not be saying them exactly correctly, so that's why I say along the lines of... <laughs> That, the, that, the, yeah. that this world is suffering. Yeah, there is suffering in this world. Um, but there is an answer to suffering. You know, you can escape the suffering. That's basically the idea. And um, so Buddha taught, supposedly, Buddha is not really a very historical. There's no real strong historical evidence for anyone that fits the bill as Buddha, which is another interesting fact about right. Buddhism. <laughs> But the exactly. teachings of Buddhism are that um, you've uh, you are trapped kind of in this world, which isn't actually real, because the only thing that exists is Buddha mind. That's the only thing that exists. So everything else is a construct. And and because you think it's real, you keep coming back and, re and living this and living a life on this earth in this reality. Mm. Um, but your actual self is not real. That's also a construct. And so you have to learn to cultivate detachment so that you aren't attached to any of this so you can stop the cycle of rebirth. Now, that's kind of the major idea of Buddhism. But mm -hmm. there are varieties of that. And in Tibetan, when Buddhism, Buddhism started in India, 
and it got kind of overwhelmed by Hinduism. So it never really, it never became the major religion of India, but it went into Tibet. And when it went into Tibet, it merged with the indigenous religion of Bon, B-O-N, which is a very animistic, shamanistic religion. And so there's a lot of occult right. elements there. And so Tibetan Buddhism also retained, because it had just come from India into Tibet, which is right next to next door, it retained a lot, some of the Hindu practices, such as the mantras, repeating something during meditation. Um, the mandalas were special um, designs uh, that you meditate on. And um, I'm not sure about Hinduism, but in Tibetan Buddhism, a mandala is the palace uh, for the deities. Now, interestingly enough, Tibet, in Buddhism, there is no God. Uh, there isn't really no God, but there's no, there's no God and there's no, no God. <laughs> it's not theistic and it's not atheistic right. because Buddha never said anything supposedly about God. So God, mm -hmm. there's no God ever referred to and there's no belief in a supreme God. However, right. because of Buddhism in Tibet merging with this animistic religion, there are deities, lots of deities. And the mandalas are a palace like for the deities. And it's a very big thing in Tibetan Buddhism. The, the Dalai Lama is really into this. He has these things called the sand mandala taken around to different cities around the country. It's been to Washington, D.C. twice, which is the area where I live now. And um, I won't go mm. into what, what all that is, but it's a real big deal. Um, and it's it's got all these occultic things. The Dalai Lama travels with an oracle, which is basically like his personal psychic. Um, and he also, he does divination and he also um, has these oracles um, that are like state oracles. And they supposedly are people who transmit messages uh, from the deities to the Dalai Lama. Oh, There's wow. some videos on YouTube that show this. They're very chilling. They're chilling because these people are clearly being possessed. It's it's very clear they're being they're in the state of possession. They 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 wow. go back. They kind of fall back, and their eyes go up into their head, and they're they're just it's just really creepy. It's really creepy. I posted some on Facebook with a warning, but I said you need. I said people need to know what the Dalai Lama really believes because he's so revered exactly. in this country. And I have nothing exactly. against him personally. I'm not. You know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to attack him, but I want people to see the religion that he promotes and he mm -hmm. believes in, because too many people don't realize what's right. what what is there. And I actually heard him speak in person too in 2008, and so I could I could even talk for mm. 30 minutes about that. But I won't I'll go on. So it's very yeah. interesting. <laughs> so um, wow. even though I was follower of the Dalai Lama, I was still into Tibetan Buddhism. Now, I didn't get as far as, I didn't get into any intricacies of it. I was just doing the meditation and reading these books. I didn't get into right. the into these practices. Uh, now, that's, so that's Tibetan Buddhism. It has some Hindu practices in it and some these animistic things. Zen Buddhism um, is like the opposite. Now, Buddhism, after it went to Tibet, went to China 
and so and, and in China it merged with Taoism, and it's called Chan, C H A N, which of course okay. is not the Chinese word, but it's Chan, and then it went to Japan as Zen. So Zen is Chan. But so there are strong Taoist elements of, of Zen Buddhism that I noticed because I was influenced by Taoism as well, which is a ancient religion that started in China from, from early Chinese shamanism around 800 BC. And Taoism, well, if, you, if people listening don't know that word, I'm sure most people have heard or have seen the yin and yang symbol. Right. Um, yes. Most people know what that is. That comes from Taoism. So, and so does qi, so does acupuncture. Acupuncture is based on Taoism. A lot of alternative healing is based on Taoism. So a lot of people are influenced by it and don't even realize it. So it's another area. <laughs> so mm. this is a new age. It's just so vast. It has so many elements to it. It draws from so many things. So um, when, so when uh, it all, there was also a reformation of Buddhism around, I think it was around, I, I could be wrong. I think it was around the 15th century, but it might've been the 16th century where some, I can't remember his name. I think it was Nichiren. It's called Nichiren Buddhism, but whoever started it thought that Buddhism had become too complicated and it needed to be simplified. And so Zen is very, it's, it's very simple. It's like what you do, they, they, what they say is you just have to do your sitting and sitting is the meditation, the Zen Buddhist meditation, which is known as mindfulness, which now has become a big trend in this country that started like back around, at least by 2010, it had started in this country and was even they even had it in the schools, but they but they present it as a psychological thing and not as a religious thing, but it's actually a religious Buddhist meditation. So um, Zen is where you just want to sit because the goal is that you see the um, nature of the true nature of reality. Um, and that's actually the goal of of Hinduism, Taoism, Buddhism, to see the true nature of reality. Because reality that you think is reality is not really reality. So, but in Zen, that's really like the main thing. And they don't have these rituals and all this stuff they have in Tibetan Buddhism. So those, I'm sorry, I took a long time answering that question, but I can't help. I start, I start, I can't help myself. I start lecturing. So I just, I start going into my giving. No, talk. it's good. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> because what you're doing too is right when you well I'm, I'm i appreciate it though because you know that like we had talked before a little bit i you know that was going to be my next question what do you uh describe as the new age today so in between your testimony you're answering both questions at the same time because oh, i think good. most people you know they just think it's they think it's just crystals or some right. meditation uh it's like you said it's so vast and unless you yes. studied it to some degree and, you know, and I have too, but not, you know, not like you, but I'm just saying part of teaching and apologetics, uh, you know, you, you become very familiar with a lot of this. And so this, it's so vast and it's, it's tentacles are so wide and different and reach into so many areas um, and, and into Christian Christianity, which I think that will be 
another discussion for us both. Yes. Separate podcast. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, so I appreciate that you're, you're weaving sure. all of this in. So it's really the next question anyway. What do you consider the new age? Yeah. And you've been exposed yes. and involved in so much of it and know so much of it. So I appreciate you doing that. Thank you. So go ahead with sure. your story of how you came to Christ. Sure. Yeah. So the Eastern religions is one aspect of the new age. And I'll just say this quickly. I won't go into it. The other two are um, Gnosticism and then new thought, the new thought movement, which is much, much later, which really came about more in the 1800s. But I can go into that when we have another discussion. <laughs> um, so I'll go on with my story here because I am getting, believe it or not, near the end. So <laughs> I was totally in this world. I had no thoughts of leaving it. You know, I was doing astrology, teaching astrology. I had clients. I was writing for astrological and new age magazines. And I was on the speakers bureau of the astrological society. So I got to go around and give talks to different groups, which I enjoyed doing. I mean, secular groups like parents without partners, uh, the lions. I even talked to the lions club. Um, and a few other groups. And so I was doing that kind of thing. And then, then seemingly out of the blue, and I was still president of the Astro. Oh, I became president of the Astrological Society. And while I was still president, um, I got this compulsion to go to a church, uh, which I, you know, didn't understand. And I, I just ignored, you know, I just ignored it. But I couldn't understand where it was coming from and why I had this compulsion to go to a church. And it really bothered me. And this started around April um, and it lasted. It just kept on going. It went into the summer. I went to an astrological conference in Oregon. Um, that was the second time I'd gone to that conference. And I went there to give some workshops and meet other people that I had met at the last conference. Uh, other astrolog not everybody was an astrologer. There were people there who were who were like into witchcraft, modern witchcraft, um, and other esoteric areas of of the new age or the occult. Um, and so, I came back from that, and that compulsion was still there. So I decided that I needed to um, deal with it. Uh, and I also decided that it was probably something from a previous Christian life because, of course, I thought I had lived, I said I believed in reincarnation. I believed I'd had Christian lives in past, uh, past lives, you know, that were Christian. <laughs> and so I thought there must be an unresolved issue from one of my Christian lives. And so maybe that's why I need to go to a church. And so I picked this large church in downtown Atlanta where I was pretty sure nobody would know me. Well, most churches I'd gone to, probably nobody would have known me. But um, I went to this church that I was unfamiliar with. It wasn't, you know, like a Baptist church. It was it was an Episcopal church. And I sat in the back, in the, in the very back, and the end of the uh, aisle, because I or the end of the pew, because I wanted to leave early I thought I would leave after 15 or 20 minutes so the service began and they were playing music and everyone stood up and there was a procession coming from the back of the church down the aisle um, of the uh, ministers and I can't remember if the choir was there too but the ministers um, and people doing things up at the front of the church and they were all led by a young boy carrying a cross and um, as he walked by me, I felt this 
overwhelming, what I call a waterfall of love falling on me. Um, and it was not from the music or the people or, or the anything to do with the church itself. You know, it was something external. But I knew it was from a God um, who loved me because what that's what I was feeling. I was feeling love. And I know this mm. sounds really, really strange, but this is what happened. So it was just, that's what happened. And I actually started to tear up and um, I decided to stay for the whole service. Um, the thing is, is that in my new age beliefs, you know, I believed God was a force or an energy, not a personal God, but I knew this was a personal God that loved me. So it wasn't even a God I believed in yet. I knew it was real. And um, I thought Jesus was a wise spiritual teacher like Buddha. I meant to say that earlier. Those are my views of God and Jesus as a new ager. And that's a common view in the new age that Jesus was a wise spiritual teacher like Buddha. And there's other views, but that's one of the more common ones. And so I um, didn't know what to make of this. I, came back to the church the following week. I, I just wanted to be there. And I continued coming to that church, which was a very um, uh, open-minded church is probably a good way to describe it. It was <laughs> open-minded. <laughs> and so uh, the few people I got to know, I, when I told them I was an astrologer, they just, you know, some of them wanted my business card. So I thought, well, you know, I maybe can get some clients here, you know, so that's another in the, in the church. They were asking in the you this, Oh, yeah. So. In the church. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I thought, well, OK, you know, I can get some clients here, maybe. And um, yeah, I was in a class. I went to a Sunday school class called What Episcopalians Believe because I was curious. I didn't really know what they believed. And I would speak mm -hmm. up and say things like. Well, you know, in Tibetan Buddhism, when you die, I think we were talking about what happens when you die or something. And I said, well, when you die in Tibetan Buddhism, you go somewhere where you kind of burn off all the bad stuff that you did, you know, and I and people were kind of looking at me in the class and they were kind of smiling very politely, you know, like, oh, you know, it's very interesting. <laughs> you know, I've always heard this thing, the stereotype that Episcopalians are so polite, but it's really true. <laughs> They really are polite. <laughs> <laughs> they really are polite. So they're like all very, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I'm teaching people, maybe I'm teaching them something, you know, that's how I saw myself, you know, because yeah. of course I was right, you know, naturally. So um, <laughs> that's how I, right. that's how I thought. So I just, you know, I kept going in a very short period of time. I got this impression um, that God did not like astrology. I mean, he really didn't like it. Now, I kind of knew vaguely that astrology and Christianity didn't go together, but I thought I was helping people. So I think I kind of thought this would be okay with God, with this God, whoever he was. Um, and so I was very surprised that I was getting this impression God didn't like astrology. So, of course, I ignored it. And there's some things that happened during this time I'm leaving out just for the sake of time. But that impression became an impression God wanted me to give astrology up. Um, oh, wow. So this I really resisted because this was 
I felt my calling. It was my identity. I had been doing it for a while. I had a lot of clients. I even had clients in other countries, um, you know, because I would, I would get their birth data and I would uh, do the reading on a cassette tape and send the tape to them. So I did that for people oh. in other countries or people in other cities, you know, so they didn't have to be physically in Atlanta for me to do a reading. Of course, now you've got the internet, you know, mm. but at that time we didn't have that. Right. So that's <laughs> before internet. So, um, <laughs> and I was writing, you know, so I felt like I had kind of a successful astrology career. Now what happened, uh, what had happened is I had been married and um, I had a son and my marriage had ended. And when that happened, one of my clients offered me a part-time job at his office. And what he wanted me to do was give him information on the employees based on their birth dates. He was an astrology client and he was also a student. I also, in one of my astrology classes, he was very interested in astrology. Mm. And by the way, he and his wife were members of a Methodist church. In Atlanta, a big Methodist church. So there you go. <laughs> I even ended up talking yeah. to a Methodist class. And I can't remember if it was the church he belonged to or if it was another church. But I ended up talking to a Methodist Sunday school class. And there was, I remember when I went there that Sunday morning, the teacher said, there's one, everybody's here. There's one married couple who's not here because they did not agree with us letting you speak. Everybody else was okay mm. with it. And, you know, wow. now that I look back on that, I think, well, they're, they're the ones who were right and everybody else was wrong. No, you shouldn't let an astrologer come speak exactly. to Sunday school as though astrology has some kind yeah. of merit. Unless you're going to debate them or question them or something. I don't know. You just shouldn't do that. So anyway, okay. That's another exactly. thing. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> So I took it because he was offering me a fair amount of money. Now, nobody in the office knew that's why I was there. I had this title that didn't really mean anything, you know, special projects coordinator. And I was hired outside of the system that you had to be in to, to work for that, to work there. You, there was a system set up, but you could be a contractor hired outside the system. And that's, that's how I was hired by him. Mm -hmm. Um, but I still got the money, you know, the, the paycheck. Um, I don't think I got the benefits, but I got the paycheck. And so um, I was doing, I took that because I had a son, you know, to support. And um, I was getting the money from him and I was still doing my astrology. Now at that, in that office was a young Christian man. Um, and he was very nice. Um, I remember the reason I, I knew he was a Christian is because he was telling me about going on a mission trip to Central America. And so when he told me about that, I automatically in my head, you know, was like, oh, Christian, <laughs> you know, and um, because you, that you just that's just your reaction when you're a new ager, you know, it's like, oh, this person's a Christian. You kind of want to step back from them and because uh, you don't want to be mm. preached at. You know, Interesting. And so, but he didn't do that. You know, he was always nice. He didn't. And he knew eventually I didn't tell people right away, but eventually I told people I was an astrologer. I did not tell them that was why I was there. I, I knew I couldn't do that, but I did tell them I was an astrologer. 
So he knew that, but he never, he never asked me about it. He just asked me other questions. He would say things like, what do you think of the music today? You know, what do you think of that? Or what do you think of this? You know, he would ask me questions about what I thought of things. And I loved giving my opinion. So I would answer, you know, and I liked him because he wanted to know what I thought. So I really liked him. It was like not preaching at me. So he was just, you know, just very nice and low key with me. All right. So I needed to tell you all that because then I had this, you know, this experience of, of, of this compulsion and then these impressions and then this impression to give astrology up was so strong. Now I had gone um, to the church on Labor Day weekend. That was when I went to the church the first time it was Labor Day mm -hmm. weekend. Now we're at Thanksgiving and I decide I have to give astrology up. Now this is a pretty oh, wow. big decision for me, you know, because I mean, I'm, teaching at the astrological society i'm on the board i'm on the uh, speakers bureau i'm the head of the curriculum committee i'm the head of it i'm a consultant to wow. the this year's board you know after they elected a new president i was the consultant so it's like you know this is like just you're in a career and you just suddenly walk off from it you know overnight and um yeah so but I decided I had to because, you know, I didn't know what else to do. And I, I actually went to the office of the, the rector of the of the church and told him what had been going on. And I told him about the feeling the love and I told him about this idea I had that I needed to give astrology up. And so he took out the Bible and he started reading scriptures to me from the Old Testament about divination. And, um, you know, and he told me, you know, they used to cut the livers out of animals and they would use the livers and to tell fortunes and stuff like that. And I thought, I, why is he telling me this? I didn't get it. I was like, I don't understand why he's talking about the livers of animals. Uh, but somehow in his talking to me, it kind of sunk in. And I thought, yeah, this is confirmation that God really wants me to stop. And so when he finished talking, I said, okay, I said, I guess I have to really give it up. And so God used this, this man to confirm it to me through scripture, which I didn't even understand. And um, so I did have three more clients who had already paid for half their charts to be done. And I felt obligated to do their charts. And I saw them in early December and after that, I didn't do any more astrology. And I decided I needed to start reading the Bible because I thought I'm going to church. I'm not doing astrology. Oh, and my boss was not around for me to tell him I couldn't do astrology anymore at that office because he had taken a leave of absence around Thanksgiving and he wasn't going to be back till January. So he left me busy work. So I was still at the office um, doing busy work. And I started reading scripture. And it's a good thing he wasn't there because I'm not sure how I would have explained this to him. So um, I started I started with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And I read a little bit every night. I started sometime in, I guess, early December, something like that. And 
a few days before Christmas, I got to Matthew chapter eight. I wasn't understanding really what I was reading. I didn't really get it, except one thing I did notice. And I think this is really important. I noticed that the words were pure. And there, I thought there's something pure about the words here. I thought that I've never read a book where I thought the words were pure. Yeah, that's, and, that's interesting that you express it in that term, with that term yeah. pure. That's interesting. That was the word that came to my mind. It was the only word I could think of to mm. describe it. I was trying to think, what is it about these words that's that are different? And then and pure was the word I came up with. And I thought they're, they're pure. And I've never read a book where the words seem pure to me. And so that's what kept me reading. Part, I think partly that's mm. what kept me reading. And so one evening I'm reading Matthew 8 and I'm reading the account of Jesus and his disciples on the boat and the storm at sea. And uh, this this account grabs me for some reason. And I start I, re I start reading it again, you know, and I read it again. And as I'm rereading it, God just opened my eyes. I mean, just yeah, I just I went from, you know, zero to 100. Like I went from no belief and unbeliever, new ager. To believer born again i mean it just it, it wow. what happened is i saw who jesus really was as i was rereading it i understood uh, okay. who he was i understood why he died on the cross because of course i knew about it i just had never understood it i understood why he died on the cross i understood i had been separated from god and been going against god my whole life I understood. I didn't think I've been a sinner. Sin wasn't a word in my vocabulary because New Agers don't believe in sin. And I didn't really right. get the biblical concept of sin. And this is why I have an issue with people who, who say unbelievers have to confess they're sinners. No, they just have to confess they need Christ and they've been wrong because you don't always understand these terms when you're not a Christian. I understood hmm. I had been going against God. Well, that's bad enough. That's sin. That's, you know, I had been and I understood I was separated from God and I needed to be reconciled. Although I don't think I thought of the word reconcile. I thought I need to be, you know, I need to be, I don't know how I thought of it. I thought I've been going against God. I need to be, you know, going towards, I need to be with God. And Christ is the only way I can do that. Christ is the one. I need, I need to turn my life over to him. That, I don't know if I thought in those words, but all of that was in my mind. And so I just, I just did. I just, wow. at that moment, I just said, I'm, I, I quit everything I've been doing, you know, spiritually, everything's wrong. And I need to, I need to, I need to trust Christ. I need to, I need to believe in him. He is the savior. I need a savior. So basically that's where I was in my thinking. And I also understood if I had died before that moment, I would have gone to hell. I, I wow. realized That's a, the reality of hell. You don't hear reality, that. Often. Yeah. I know. I know. And I, but it came, it came to me um, right after that moment when I trusted Christ. I thought, wow, you know, if I had died, you know, yesterday or something, and before this happened, I would, I would have been in hell. I would have been separated from God forever. So, wow. you know, this was clearly, clearly now looking back, I see the Holy Spirit was working on me there, you know, working on me, the compulsion to go to church, 
you know, the, um, the impression that God wanted me to give astrology up, all of that. And the reason, uh, of course, it happened because God wanted it to happen. But I found out a few months later, this young Christian man at the office I talked about, what happened was I went to him in January. I've got to tell, I've got to wrap a couple of things up here. I went and told my boss when he came back, I could not do the astrology anymore. And it was kind of weird telling him I'd become a Christian because he claimed to be a Christian. So it's kind of you know, like, I'm a Christian now. I can't do astrology, but well, he's a Christian and he hired me, you know, I said, I'm not <laughs> sure how I put it to him. I didn't want to like upset him or anything. He was very nice. And I, and so he was very nice and he said, okay, he said, well, I'll just give you, I'll keep giving you work. And he kept giving me busy work. Um, and so I don't know, maybe huh. he did it because I was a single mother. I don't know. And the jobs, the job hmm. situation at that time, we were going into a recession. It was very bad. And so he probably knew maybe it would be hard for me to find a job. I don't know for whatever reason he let me stay on um and so i was still wow. there and so i told this young man i wasn't doing this i can't remember exactly what i told him and his response at that time was i don't remember what he said he didn't say much now a few months later in april he came into my office and I said, it's so strange to me that a few months ago I was an astrologer and now I'm a Christian and I didn't even want to be a Christian. And I said, now I am one. <laughs> and he, he kind of smiled at me and he said, maybe somebody was praying for you. And I said, oh, no, oh, wow. I said, I don't know anybody who would pray for me. And I'm saying this while I'm looking at him. And then it kind of hit me because he's kind of smiling at me. And I said, oh, wait a minute. I said, were you praying for me? And he said, well, he said, my my young adult fellowship at my church was praying for you. Oh, he said, wow. we, were praying, we were praying for you all last year. Wow. And I said, oh, my goodness. I said, that explains some, you know, that explains so much to me of what was happening to me. And then I ended wow. up going to that group at his church and giving them my testimony the group that had been praying for me, which was ironically at oh, a Methodist wow. church, at a Methodist church, <laughs> south, somewhere south of oh, Atlanta. Wow. And so. Wow. He, so here they're um, seeing you as they're, they're seeing a visible answer to their prayer. You they know, saw a visible answer. And, and I got to testament. tell that's, them. That's stunning. I, I got to tell them all this stuff about the compulsion and the impression and all that stuff. So. Right. You know, they got to see. But at the time, of course, this was happening. You couldn't see anything. I mean, he would see me in the office and I would just be the same as usual. He didn't know all this. See, and that's what I, I, mm -hmm. I think. I hope people take away from this. Number one, that God can reach anybody. OK, because I was very hard. I was very hostile to Christianity. I thought Christians were unenlightened and they were narrow-minded and they had to follow a book and they had to believe what they were told. You know, that was my view of Christians. And, but God can reach anybody. It doesn't matter what their view is or how hostile they are. You know, God can reach them. If you can't witness to them or they won't come to church with you, pray for them, you know? So it also shows that 
you know, God, God will work behind the scenes, even when you don't see anything going on, even when you don't see a change, right. a visible change in the person. It doesn't mean God isn't doing something because he certainly right. was doing something. <laughs> he was doing a lot of things. <laughs> and but you couldn't tell, wow. you know, you couldn't tell out, outwardly any change in me at all. But there was a lot going on there. So that's that's pretty much, I think that's why, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know why God did it that way, but I think maybe one reason was to show um, he can reach anyone and to pray for people. You know, prayer is God could have reached me without prayer. He could have reached me any way he wanted, but he, he chose for whatever reason to do it through this group, this uh little young adult fellowship group, just praying there faithfully, you know, every time they met, they prayed for me and they continued, mm. even though there was no visible evidence of, of anything happening, they prayed. So, you know, they stuck it wow. out. <laughs> so anyway, that's, right. I, that's, um, yeah. you know, that's all the glory, you know, goes to God and his There's mercy because clearly from my story, I didn't do anything. I mean, God practically dragged me into that church because right. I was resisting for months. I resisted from April until Labor Day weekend. And then I was trying to resist the mm. astrology. I was trying to not give it up. I was really trying hard. And, you know, so... Anyway, wow. that's 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 it. That's so I gave a really long version. Yeah. <laughs> I did up. No, that's oh my good. goodness, that's much good. longer. Yeah. We went longer than I thought we would go, and than you thought we would go. Yeah, no, that's that's good. And what we'll do is we'll, if you don't mind, we'll come back again. Yes. Uh, and then revisit the idea, the question about you know the new age influences in the church today yes. and and those yeah. things. But thank you, thank you so much for this Absolutely. and for uh, sharing that story in detail. And uh, you never know where this will go, who will hear it, uh, that God can use this as an instrument, uh, you as an instrument through this time in this moment, um, you know, to uh, touch the heart of someone else, to do the same kind of move in their heart and mind and to bring them to Christ uh, as well. You know, thank you, boy, this has been amazing. And uh, well, it's so good you. to get to know you. And uh, my goodness. Well, um, we'll talk later about having okay. another session here together. Um, okay. I was uh, what interested me, what what um, got my attention in your testimony, uh, too, was moving from the, the shift there, uh, especially after reading the scriptures from a, an impersonal force yeah. to a personal loving personal creator God. savior god you know that just to hear as you're talking i'm just hearing and seeing that 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 shift you know from one worldview to to the scriptural worldview of of who god is and what you know that's just the work of the spirit in in you uh revealing that you know, illuminating so. really you know, yeah and i and, think that uh, making I, where you became personal god yeah and i think maybe that yeah. was happening while I was reading the scriptures and exactly you know, I was reading Matthew, but I didn't, I wasn't really aware of that change going on, but I think it must've been happening because when I saw who Christ was, I mean, at that point, I mean, I didn't have any idea of God being some kind of force, you know, 
right. that God was right. personal. And so, um, and I, and I knew Jesus was the son of God. He, you know, he was not God, the father. I mean, I had that distinction maybe right. because of past, you know, background in churches. I right. don't know. Cause I never had much theological understanding, but yeah, I, it must've happened maybe when I was reading, I was reading Matthew. Yeah. I could been. tell that as you were describing yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. That's how yeah. I, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, tell people real quick um, where to go for your website okay. uh, and, and contact you. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, ChristianAnswersNewAge.com. Because I, I, had, I had recently changed from a, another website I've had for years, and this is a new one. So I want to say it right. I have to stop when I'm saying it to make sure I say it right. So it's ChristianAnswersNewAge.com. And okay. Probably if you just, you know, put in this Google or whatever search engine you use, Marsh Montenegro, Christian Answers, uh, for the New Age is my ministry, you know, it should come up. Right. Right. And I have my okay. testimony there. Okay, great. Yes. It's on there. And there's other interviews I've given. But really, I this was one of the longer ones. So um, they'll get they'll get the story here. <laughs> And I even left right, stuff out. Right, exactly. <laughs> I know you did. Um, and uh, again, I encourage those uh, those who are watching or listening to this um, to uh, also, for instance, on YouTube uh, as well. You'll see numerous interviews of her by different podcasters, uh, different angles, different things, different questions uh, that were covered and asked. And so. I uh, encourage you to to see more of her story, uh, but then uh, we'll do another session. We'll announce that uh, here later on and uh, what it's specifically about and uh, have you back again. But uh, wow. Well, thank you again, Marsha. Let, let's close in a word of prayer real quick. Okay, sure. Father, thank okay. you so much for um, bringing Marsha and uh, crossing our paths, Lord, through this way and and reaching out and uh, her, her kind spirit and welcome to this lord to tell her story so that others can hear about you and your transform the transformation you bring to to our soul our life our heart our mind entirely lord through the gospel through the good news and jesus christ mm -hmm. and the presence of the holy spirit in our lives as a result father we are we are grateful for what you're doing in and through her to the lives of others and uh, especially uh today through this form of communication and uh, we just ask for continued provision for her and support and and guidance by you, Father, protection and opening constantly doors uh, to tell the story of Jesus in her life. And and uh, especially to those who have who ha are maybe listening to this right now and are involved in new age uh, type things, Lord, or uh, or have been and, and and wondering what's next and what's true. Uh, Father, and just use this mightily in the way that you 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 want to, in the way you always do. And we thank you for this, and uh, just bless her immensely, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again, Marcia, and uh, well, we will you. end it there, and uh, we will see you again real soon. Okay, I look forward to it.